0: The information contained on the Real Health Podcast and the resources mentioned are for educational purposes only. They are not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information contained on this podcast is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Information provided by hosts and guests on the Real Health Podcast or the use of any products or services mentioned does not create a practitioner-patient relationship between you and any persons affiliated with this podcast. This is the Real Health Podcast brought to you by Reardon Clinic. Our mission is to bring you the latest information and top experts in functional and integrative medicine to help you make informed decisions on your path to real health.
1: Well, welcome everyone to the Real Health Podcast from Reardon Clinic. I'm Dr. Ron Hunting-Hockey, and it's our good fortune today to have Dr. Teresa Abkova, who is the medical director of the Whole Health Institute at Advent Health there in Kansas City. Dr. Abkova, welcome to Real Health.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ron. It's a pleasure.
1: Yeah. Dr. Abkova and I share an interest in autoimmune disease. And so, I've invited her on this uh, show to talk a little bit about it. And so, could you kind of explain to our audience when, when the words autoimmune disease come out, what are, what are, what are people talking about?
2: Mm-hmm. Autoimmune diseases are diseases where the immune system of our body turns against our own organs, against our own tissues. Which is a problem because it then destroys those tissues. Some common examples would be autoimmune thyroid disease, like Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which attacks the thyroid, and then people end up being tired, depressed, gaining weight, constipation, um, and all kinds of other symptoms, and they may have to be on a thyroid medication as a result. Or sometimes the autoimmunity can make the thyroid overactive, and that's Graves' disease. Other types of autoimmune diseases may affect joints, and people end up having rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. Lupus also affects organs in the body. People can have um, problems with their heart or lungs or kidneys. Uh, So autoimmune diseases are a huge problem. They are on the rise, and it really has reached epidemic proportions.
1: So why is the immune system getting mixed up like this.
2: Yeah, that is a very good question. And it seems that it has to do something with possibly even our early childhood when the immune system is learning uh, who is the friend and who's the foe, mostly in our gut. So when we are born, we kind of receive a lot of the microbes from our mom uh, during vaginal birth and the microbes uh, that we get from our mothers immediately starts communicating to the immune system. The microbes from mom teach our immune system uh, how to recognize our own tissues, how to uh, not fight against food, and um, are absolutely crucial for our health going forward, even into our adulthood. And ever since we changed the way that we are born, we have more and more children born by c section when they don't really get exposed to the natural microbiome from their mom, instead they are born in surgical suite in a sterile conditions, and then touched by the nurses uh, carrying the bacteria from the hospital, uh, lack of breastfeeding, and then our terrible diet, which is full of sugar, salt, fat, and doesn't really have enough nutrients that would support the healthy gut microbiome. So the immune system doesn't learn how to distinguish well between self and a non-self. It gets confused and all kinds of diseases from allergies to chronic inflammation, to autoimmunity are a result of that.
1: It, what other things uh, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, in our, in the last 30, 40 years that I've been a doctor, the use of antibiotics has really grown. And are there other environmental things that have happened that could be messing up the gut? Yeah,
2: yeah, another great question. And antibiotics, as helpful as they can be, and certainly we would want you to take an antibiotic if you have pneumonia or strep throat. Whenever you take an antibiotic, you have to realize that you're dropping a bomb, uh, not just on the bad microbes, but also on the good bacteria, and you're basically damaging the microbiome. And the microbiome gets less diverse, less resilient. And if you repeat that, the more you repeat that, the more antibiotics you take, the less effective your immune system actually will be as a result. Another big problem are medications that lower stomach acid, proton pump inhibitors. So a lot of people take them maybe because they had acid reflux which really should be treated with diet and weight loss and other things, not with medications that lower stomach acid, but because the stomach acid is supposed to sterilize uh, your food basically and help you digest it. Now you don't digest your food properly. Now you can have overgrowth of microbes in your small intestine and that leads to something called leaky gut inflammation and a lot of diseases uh, can be a result of that. Uh, And then there are toxins in the environments, all from pesticides like glyphosate, which has been linked uh, to maybe even the steep rise in celiac disease that we see, to plasticizers like bisphenol A, that has been linked to autoimmunity, heavy metals like lead and mercury. So we have polluted the planet. And unfortunately, it's coming back to us like a boomerang with the rise of allergies, cancer, autoimmune diseases, and, and a host of other conditions.
1: And of course, we can't forget about stress. There's yes. no lack of stress these days. Mm-hmm. How, how does stress impact the gut and, and autoimmune disease, do you think?
2: Yeah, it's a big, another big factor in our lives. And uh, we tend to be very stressed in America compared to other countries. I think we just work too much and uh, don't really think that we need resting, but we do. And so when we have a lot of stress, The gut microbiome feels it and stress actually kills some of the beneficial strains in the gut microbiome and promotes some of the less desirable ones and that can lead to inflammation that can lead to leaky gut and that can lead to autoimmunity Uh, another reason why the stress is harmful it actually directly uh, suppresses the immune system or I should maybe say that it throws it off. So Mm -hmm. you may be less effective in fighting infections, including viruses and infections and viruses sometimes can cause autoimmunity. And at the same time, the immune system gets confused and uh, may be fighting things that are innocent, uh, such as your own tissues and you get autoimmunity or pollens on the trees and you get allergies uh, or you start reacting to your food, and now you have food sensitivities.
1: You know, I heard that uh, through a little bird that you recently got certified in functional medicine, which I know is a big job, and congratulations on that. And Thank so you. I, w- I was wondering if you could kind of explain how would functional medicine doctors... Uh, I mean, I think most people... We could talk a little bit about conventional medicine, the treatment of... Uh, you know, uh, these, these types of autoimmune problems, but how does that compare to the functional medicine approach?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you uh, for that question, because um, I really like to point out the difference between traditional medicine and, and integrative and functional medicine. In traditional medicine way too often, we wait until people have disease and then we can have a diagnostic code and then, and then we can match the medication to the diagnostic code. So you develop let's say lupus and now you will be given a medication for that or rheumatoid arthritis and you'll, give medi- you'll get medication for that. In functional medicine and integrative medicine, we always try to be more preventative. We like to look, uh, we say, upstream. What is the root cause of these diseases? And try to address the root cause rather than just putting a band-aid in the form of medication. So for instance, with autoimmune diseases, it's very interesting that there are signals that somebody is about to develop autoimmune disease in the blood there are markers in the blood that can be seen five years even 10 years and possibly even even longer before the person develops symptoms yeah so um, if we look at that let's say that you have people who have family history of lupus and now you find antibodies consistent with lupus in their blood now why would you wait until the person develop symptoms and uh, potentially life-threatening disease, why wouldn't we instead look at the person, make sure their vitamin D level is in a perfect shape, that we tell them about the negative effect of stress and how to deal with it, how important is their sleep, fix their diet, get them, get them of gluten, get them of salt, um, fix their microbiome, you know, help them Um, process estrogen in their liver in a a good way because mm, women have more autoimmune diseases so estrogen plays some role if we do all these things what if we can prevent the disease from developing or at the very least what if we can delay it maybe by several years maybe by decades so that's the crucial difference between how we think in functional medicine and in conventional medicine
0: there's a lot more to this conversation, and it's coming up right after a quick break. Today's podcast is brought to you by BioCenter Laboratories. The BioCenter Laboratory provides state-of-the-art lab testing and diagnostic services for healthcare providers, laboratories, hospitals, and the general public. Lab tests available through BioCenter include a comprehensive list of vitamins, minerals, fatty acids, amino acids, hormones, and pyroles. We also provide a variety of standardized tests for disease markers. These markers include cardiovascular disease, diabetes, thyroid dysfunction, hormone imbalance, and more. Visit biocenterlab.org to learn more.
1: Right away, I can tell that most rheumatologists and other doctors who deal with uh, autoimmune disease, they oftentimes name them according to the the organ or the part of the body that's most affected. But what you're saying is that the whole system of the body and and the way it works as a whole may be uh, out of sync or maybe it's like a, an orchestra where mm-hmm. the, the instruments are not tuned properly. And so the music gets all screwed up. So So this would represent more of a functional thinking about what causes autoimmune disease rather than just it's a it's just a, the, the thyroid is broke or the joints are broke. It's it's much more than just that.
2: Yeah, everything is interconnected. In my experience, when people come to my office and maybe they complain of a headache and then they have some stomach problem and maybe a rash, it, it, there is some connection. There is a unifying underlying reason why they develop those seemingly (laughs) different things. Uh, And if we can find that one cause, then yes, if we can address it, then we really help the person uh, not just return to health, but even prevent future problems down the road.
1: So as a functional doctor and a patient comes to you with an autoimmune disease, whichever, just about whichever one you can think of, and there literally is up to over a hundred, I think now, how would you, what kind of a medical workup would you do Mm -hmm. for that that person?
2: Yeah, I would definitely go uh, with a very fine comb through their lifestyle. I would want to see what they eat. Uh, Many autoimmune diseases are worsened by gluten. Some of them are even potentially caused by gluten. Um, People with celiac disease have many autoimmune diseases. Hashimoto is one of them, but they could develop type one diabetes. That's an autoimmune disease. They could develop autoimmune hair loss, alopecia areata. Uh, They could have vitiligo when the immune system attacks pigment in their skin and they have white blotches on their skin. Um, So um, gluten, getting people off gluten is very important, but I usually would test them to see if they have celiac disease, uh, in which case we would have to be very, very strict about the gluten-free diet. I may want to look at, do they eat too much salt? Salt has been now linked to some autoimmune diseases, salt intake. I would wanna see, do they eat enough fiber? And do they, do they eat variety of colorful fruits and vegetables? Um, because those are the foods that we need to support healthy gut microbiome. So we look at diet, then we look at possible lack of vitamin D, which is made in our skin from sunshine. And most of us don't spend enough time outdoors. So we tend to have low vitamin D levels and uh, low vitamin D has been linked to autoimmunity as well as cancer and heart disease and a host of other problems, osteoporosis and fracture. So vitamin D level has to be good. Uh, and then we would think about their stress levels. Uh, are they sleeping well? Maybe they have sleep apnea. Uh, maybe they have difficult relationships. Sometimes women especially develop autoimmune disease after some major stressful event like divorce. So we would try to work on their stress, uh, teach them how to handle it better because we cannot always avoid it. Uh, make sure that people sleep well, and then look at possible sources of environmental toxic exposure and see if we can eliminate that.
1: I just wanted to throw in something that I do with uh, patients. Uh, There's something called low-dose naltrexone. Do you use that? Mm.
2: You know, I have recently started using it in some of my patients. Yeah, but I don't have a ton of experience yet, but it's a very, very interesting concept. So, what is your uh, experience with that?
1: Well, it's it has to do with the endorphin system, which is a system that regulates many functions within the body. And very often, when people have any one of these things that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. the endorphin system gets kind of sluggish and it doesn't regulate as well. And ironically, uh, now trexone, which is a a drug, but it's if you use it at very low doses it will have a short-term blocking effect on the endorphin system. But then as it wears off after like 90 minutes, the endorphin system kind of like kicks into higher gear. It starts functioning better. And so once again, the reorganization of the various parts start to work better together. So it's a really interesting concept. A lot of people think that functional medicine doesn't use any medications, but this is an instance where you can use a low dose of, of medicine in a, in a unique way an innovative way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I actually have one patient who feels so good on it that she told me she has never felt that good in her entire life. So, you know, that's the example of endorphins Yeah, like the runner's high that you can have from running or exercising. Uh, singing also increases endorphins. So sing.
1: <laughs> so, we, I think if you put this all together, the, the, the question comes back to, uh, you know, on TV, I just see more and more ads for medicines against uh, chronic uh, autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you have any sense of idea why now are we seeing so much more? Because, uh, you know, a lot of these things, these stresses and stuff that's been around, but is there something new in the environment, do you think, or something, some other factor that's raising the incidence even more
2: yeah well the antibiotics you know i think we have definitely seen uh all kinds of diseases rising since we uh, have been overusing antibiotics pesticides and the environmental pollution i think together with our poor diet lack of sleep and stress it's like a perfect storm and uh, we see the consequences as rising epidemics of all all kinds
1: even uh, they even feed antibiotics to uh, to livestock, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that we we are getting secondhand. There may be antibiotics and glyphosate in the water. You know that uh, even if you try to avoid it, it's it's going to be there. Do you think probiotics have a a role to play? Have probiotics been shown to be helpful in terms of restoring the gut to better functioning?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a tricky question, actually. I used to prescribe probiotics much more than I do now. Mm. I really uh, try to get people to eat fiber and yeah. resistant starches and variety of colors and polyphenols to feed the microbiome and, and have it become diverse through diet and fermented foods. I may still occasionally use probiotics. I still use them a lot. Of course, I use them a lot. They are anti-inflammatory and they have a lot of roles. But I don't rely only on probiotics. And if you take them, it's better if you take them with prebiotics, which is what they like to eat, uh, fiber-resistant starch, and then they work better.
1: I've even heard about postbiotics, that the small chain fatty acids, there's some innovative ways to get those down into the colon and restore better colon uh, bacterial health. And so uh, that can be another modality well, anyway, I think we're just about out of time. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled that you're on the show with us, and I hope to, we, we can talk again sometime. But thank you so much for being on our Real Health podcast, Dr. Teresa Hepkova.
2: Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to learning more from you and uh, future podcasts.
0: Thank you for listening to The Real Health Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all of the episodes and show notes over at realhealthpodcast.org. Also, be sure to visit reardonclinic.org, where you will find hundreds of videos and articles to help you create your own version of real health.